Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. My guest today is Sarba Khan, pronouns he, him, they. Sarba, would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm Saber Khan. I'm a teacher in New York City. Um, I teach middle and high school computer science. Um, I also work for Processing Foundation, which is a great organization that works on open source uh, art and coding tools. And I also run this thing called Ethical CS, which we'll talk more about. Yes, we definitely will be talking more about that. Um, so I start the show um, always asking two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you cyber causing a scene? Yeah, the, you know, I, I totally agree. I think it is important to cause a scene. Um, for me, that means um, I'm part of this large movement that's been happening of bringing computer science to K-12. Uh, people use the, the term CS for all as a hashtag. Uh, you know, CS for all, if you want to go on Twitter and kind of see the movement. And it started about uh, five years ago uh, with uh, President Obama and then Mayor de Bill de Blasio of New York and other uh, elected officials pushing for more computer science education. Um, and that movement has grown and many uh, states and cities have programs to bring computer science, a very important uh, project to sort of plan for the future and help our students gain uh, new skills and insights, um, and I'm part of that movement. And uh, but there, I, I this, that's where I want to cause a scene within that movement and the movement, uh, the people that surround it, which is um, um, we really need to think deeply and, and carefully about um, how we teach computer science and uh, how we bring up issues around ethics, around diversity, about inclusion, and combine them all to a holistic. Um, education that um, cares about these issues and also cares about how students engage with these issues and help students and teachers come to their own perspectives. So that's the sort of provocation that I'm trying to provide within the uh, field of computer science for all. So is that four spelled out or the number four? Uh, usually uh, F-O-R with the letters um, and then usually each uh, area will have their own. So if you want to look at the New York City senior B, hashtag C-S-F-O-R-A-L-L-N-Y-C, and you'll kind of see what the New York City group is doing. Uh, their C-S, and then some places do something different for San Francisco. You have to do hashtag C-S-4-S-F, I believe, is their one. Um, so it's sort of in that area, but if you just look up hashtag C-S-4-All, uh, F-O-R, uh, you'll see the sort of the main, uh, the general one. And then for our one, it's hashtag ethical CS um, is how we do it. So uh, to backtrack a little bit, uh, teachers have been using Twitter and Twitter chats for a while now to build community around topics that, um, you know, maybe just can't live in their own school or own district. Uh, there's a number of great sort of Twitter chats around math education, um, around basically any topic in education. Uh, teachers have been using Twitter for that. So we took those ideas for uh, our project and, and wanted to build on it. 
So I have not had, I don't think, I don't recall, and you, you, you know my, how bad my memory is, folks, but I don't recall having a fellow K-12 on here. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so this is going to be an interesting conversation because you are staying in to fight the fight and I chose to exit stage left. <laughs> yeah, because I realized that fundamentally the system is broken and too many people are, are profiting off it being broken. So there's no incentive to fix it. So I love finding these little pockets um, of people like yourself who are in it doing impactful work and I love how from the start you're talking about ethics how from the start you're talking about um, the things that make a technician more than just a person who can code or a person who can think about algorithms and at the beginning you think about the implications the ethical and moral implications of those things um, and that is sorely missing in the generation of programmatic individuals that dominate the space now. Um, so I'm, I'm very encouraged and happy to hear that um, there's a systemic movement, not these offshoots, not these one-offs, mm -hmm. these silo, but a systemic movement to not only bring um, education, which is um, technical literacy, but and also bringing in the human part of it that many people in tech like to freaking forget yeah they just love to just like oh humans we don't need those <laughs> yeah um and even though that we can we can program as, out as many humans as we want to but the people who are going to be using our products and services are humans so mm -hmm. um yeah so tell me more about what it's like teaching cs in Oh my, see, I had to do, first of all, when I first got in education, I was, um, I'm certified special needs. Oh, great. So I was, um, I was, I, my first class was pre-K autism. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was interesting. I, I literally had a little boy. He was so, he had so much personality. And it was one of those things, as soon as he would take off his shoes, you knew that the rest of his clothes were on, were coming off. And so you would have to, wow. as soon as you saw his shoe, you're like, no, 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 put that shoe back <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but he had the best little personality. And I had only two students at the time. I was mm -hmm. just coming into education. I had two, three, they were three and four-year-olds, autist, um, autistic students. And we, it was, it was about, I was new. Their parents were new to this. So we were all yeah. learning together. Mm -hmm. Um and, and using whatever tools we could to, to help facilitate um, um, learning. Um, and then I, was, then I was like, yeah, no, I can't do the babies. My personality just does not work with babies. So I went to high school. Oh, I loved high school. Whoa. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, I love high school. And I actually love, I don't like freshmen and sophomores. I like juniors and seniors. Because I need to be able yeah. to... Well, every, everyone does. They're yeah. almost like little adults. Yeah, yeah well, and, and, and exactly. And you can have those conversations like, hey, hey, this is this is an artificial environment, folks. We need to get you ready for the real world. Um, yeah. Middle school, I stayed the hell away from. I knew what my, <laughs> what my <laughs> threshold was. And middle school are those little humans who in one moment, moment think they're grown and in the next moment, they're crying. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't do with that. <laughs> So tell me, just I'm just interested in how are you, because you said middle and high, how are mm -hmm. you, how is teaching CS yeah. in New York? 
um, in public, is it public schools? I, I started in public schools, but I'm in a private school now and I'm happy to go through it. Uh, by the way, where were you, where did, where were you teaching? What district? Um, um, I, for a while I was in Chicago and then, um, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. Maybe that'll be helpful to talk about sort of my career and, uh, and it'll help sort of underline some yeah. of the points you made. Um, yeah. Uh, before you say, before you start yeah. that, cause I want to be clear when I, my yeah. goal maybe, and this is different. I never want to be a teacher. I was in Chicago and I was doing youth work. That's yeah. what I love to do. And that's working with students. In a, uh, and I was training adults who work with students and working with students in what they call out of school time. So after school, summer programs. Like when I came back, to Atlanta, um, came back to Georgia, they don't have a structured system like they would have in New York and Chicago and Philly about after school. So that was what I was qualified for. So let me, I want to make sure I put that in there because it was not like some calling. Yeah. But I'm happy that I did it because I, it helped me understand so much about the tech space. Yeah, I I, I, I did all that, too. I, I think, you know, I sort of even though I've been there my entire adult life and in my career, I sort of fell into education and, and I share. It. And I think it helps, like you're saying, have that perspective of like what what's working, what's not working and seeing the big picture. Um, so I graduated college in uh, 2003 um, and didn't really know what I was doing it i didn't really i didn't really take advantage of college in the way that you know more sort of um kids just sort of knew what they were going to do right after dad so i i did what a lot of other people who had no idea do which is i just like i'm just gonna go to new york and see what happens and um, oh so you weren't even in new york <laughs> i was in new york uh i was i i worked at a summer camp and then i just showed up and was sleeping on my friend's couches for a few weeks and then um, I had done a little bit of, of in college. I started, you know, I was pre-med, but I didn't really get much out of it. And I really started enjoying doing volunteering and helping out at this middle school. And my, my father's a college professor. We have a lot of educators in the family and feels very comfortable for me. So I really started enjoying that. And I sort of knew that New York City hired a lot of teachers Um and I joined the Teaching Fellows Program, which is an alternate alternative certification program. So did I. It's in, where, yeah, it's called oh. a TAPS program. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't yeah. have a degree in education. I went through a certification from. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and My undergrad is interior design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we should talk about that at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and uh, high needs um, uh, areas. And mm -hmm. so they, they take they take in. The program still exists, uh, and Teacher America does a similar thing. Uh, they take in college grads or career switchers and give them a very sort of rushed prepping program and uh, and, and throw them into high-needs classrooms. It's got, you, know, you can imagine all kinds of problems with a setup like that, but there I was. I joined a classroom the first day after Thanksgiving break in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, at MS57, Ron Brown Academy. Um, uh, maybe a little bit of context. This is uh, Bloomberg era. Uh, Mike Bloomberg is mayor. Uh, Joe Klein is chancellor. And uh, they are in the midst of this sort of reform movement. And No Child Left Behind has happened, which uh, mandates that struggling, struggling schools will get more support. But eventually, if they don't do better, they'll be shut down. And so that's sort of what I came into. And uh, my gosh, you know, I, I had I had read stuff about school segregation and the disparities in uh, educational outcomes and resources. But 
those two years or you know to live it is a totally different thing isn't it yeah I, i don't think i will ever let it go i think that's the thing that no matter what i do in education is always in the back of my mind of like there's um I guess what what how did Jonathan Coase put it in his book about St. Louis schools like I forget the term that he used but basically like we live in two different cities even though we're you know especially in a place like New York block by block we live in different cities and um that it that has motivated in a lot of ways my career and then uh went into charter and then eventually you know needed a little bit of stability and, and comfort and and I worked in private school to sort of the other end of the spectrum um in computer science is one reason I'm really passionate about it is one way to sort of not just work on computer science but to work on that other problem of how do we bring educators and students who are often so divided based on circumstances and where they work and where they go to school and bring them together and CS for all is this nice area where a lot of people really don't know what to do so they're coming together and working together in a way that that in small ways in our you know tries to sort of mitigate school segregation um and and that's something that i think you know sort of motivates me um i care both about this but i also really care about that we really talk about this issue constantly that we live in a world where it's completely comfortable to send black and brown kids to to broken schools and and that's unacceptable um um and i i try in my own that's my other i guess like provocation is to remind ourselves of that and think about what what are we going to do about that how are we going to work on that and in places like new york it's a staggering level of inequality uh, yet there's lots of people working on it um if if your your listeners are interested i think nicole hanna jones's work uh, prior to the 1619 project uh was about school segregation in the new york times magazine i would encourage anyone to read her work about uh choosing to send her Uh, she's African American to send her uh, daughter to a predominantly African American public school and what goes into a decision like that and the history of how we got to a place where urban schools in the country are more segregated than they've ever been since Brown versus Board of Education mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and as an immigrant you know who who loves this country that to me is a uh, you know a moral failing um uh, up there with you know any other ones that we have right now um so that that's sort of what motivates me and and that's also how i think about ethics ethics is not a a purely logic problem you know it's not just a trolley problem uh ethics is about things like how do systems interact with other systems to create inequality and that really you know you can't do that abstractly you can't you you have to put people in there it has to be about people computer science thrives because it's able to abstract away the reality of of a situation and give you sort of a mathematical logical solution to things and often what we're trying to do is being like no 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 this this actually before you abstracted this was about people and let's think about how we go back to thinking about people thinking about identity thinking about history um something that you know can you can get a great education in America and be very successful and have no IQ around race or gender or these very powerful uh powerful identifiers that have huge impact on how we experience the world. So I think you know what I'm advocating for is like a liberal arts multidisciplinary approach to thinking about ethics and computer science and helping hoping that that helps us think about lots of different situations you know school segregation whatever topic you're really 
worried about, upset about, want to see change, you can take a, a multidisciplinary approach to understanding it. And then, you know, I don't think, I think we talk too much about solutions, not just solutions, but even just have a, a proper appreciation of what we're looking at, I think is um, really, really important and something that I'm trying to encourage. Um, so with these chats, we get, you know, I, I recruit experts who know something about the field. We prepare questions. And then last Wednesday of every month, in fact, we have one coming up March 25th, um, and we will um, have the experts talk to the questions, you know, out loud during a Twitter chat, and then hoping participants sort of join along. So what we're trying to do is model ethical thinking out loud, like people sort of thinking through, oh, this is how I, you know, when I'm asked this question, here's how I'm sort of thinking about how to come up with an answer for it. So more about, uh, I'm hoping it doesn't always get there, but think, you know, showing the thinking and then showing how people, people who know a lot, think about the field and then helping uh, people who are watching, people who are listening, people who are participating, a chance to sort of do that same type of open-ended ethical thinking, which can be, can, you know, I don't think it's super easy to do. So I, I think modeling it multiple times around different issues um, uh, I think we met during the Black History Month uh, chat where a lot of great conversation around, you know, how should we think about Black History Month and tech and computer science? And a couple of takeaways. One is there is a Black history in tech that's been made invisible. And there's also a, a representation problem, too. So how do you do both? How do you both tell the story of people that have been marginalized but were there? And also acknowledge that a lot of people have not been included. And that's like a much more sophisticated, complicated thing to do. And it takes real sort of care and thoughtfulness to sort of get that across. And that is something that if we can do that on the chat and if we can gather people together and, and create a space where people can do this, then hopefully it will raise the IQ of our community and then hopefully it'll go back into the classroom. But I am very soft on like, you know, come as you are, take what you can from it. And if you need help, we can try to help you get it back in the classroom. Um, we're not a place where, you know, we're writing lesson plans and saying, here's a lesson plan for making ethics happen in your classroom. A lot of people are doing that. I, I'm thinking more along the lines of how do we even think about this topic in a way that helps people come to their own perspective. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. topic in a way that helps people come to their own perspective, um, um, especially teachers who don't get a chance to think like this. They're, they're often very much like what, you know, they're performers. So what, what's my line? When do I say it? What's my next line? Um, so that's sort of how we have been approaching this project. All right. So. You mentioned several things that um, that are fine, interesting, and one of them is the what you just said about what's my line, and because teach, teaching, and I hope you don't take offense to this, but it is what it is. It used to be a profession, right now it's a job, 
and educators when I was in school, they did their own lesson plans. They decided, you know, they, um, so helping educators develop that skill of thinking out loud at the, um, and, and it being framed around ethical decisions also helps fuel or helps guide other decisions that they need to be making. I love the forest view of this because education has become the tree of this. What, what tasks do I need to get done today to make sure that I have a job tomorrow kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. um, particularly when, when with the, the start of um, No Child Left Behind. And then you have mm-hmm. the core count, the, the um, core competencies and, and all of that. It's become these things that everybody is like check off the box. And even in that, you're mm-hmm. leaving out the human. Because as a special ed mm-hmm. teacher, there were many services that my students should have been able to get by law, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but weren't able to get because they didn't fit into these little nice check boxes. But it would have been mm-hmm. um, advantageous for their for them to. Um, have an equitable, I don't even talk about equality, but have an equitable educational experience. Um, and also, I love the, the fact that you talked about, um, you talked about liberal arts. I remember going to a talk um, at, it was Selenium Conf, and it was in Berlin in 2017, I think. And um, one of the organizers did a talk about the value, the, why we need humanities in computer science and and there was a, there was pushback mainly from dudes who are all analytical because that's what you know it's it's the all the all all quantitative no qualitative <laughs> um perspective mm-hmm. and that works when as you say when you extrapolate all the humanness out of things um that does not work when you have to consider um, compared to um, impact the lives of humans. And so I love when I can have a conversation with someone who mm-hmm. is talk, can talk about beyond a technology. A technology is a tool. We need to start having conversations about how we design these tools, mm-hmm. how we uh, imagine they will facilitate whatever we're trying to facilitate, how they will impact people, um, What's the potential for harm? We never want to talk about potential for harm. It's always we're saving the world. You know, we're, we're technologists and we are, we mm-hmm. are out saving the world. Mm-hmm. But an mm-hmm. ethical conversation cannot be had if we don't discuss our potential for harm. And, 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 the, best, the, and the best place um, to look for potential harm is history. You know, the, yes. You know. I, and I'm also, I love history <laughs> yeah. for this very reason. Because it's, it's, not, it's not like we're, so when you talk about the disparity between the schools, I, I clearly talk about that because it's, it's not by, it's not a mistake that our schools are, 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 are there's inequity in our school systems within the same mm-hmm. school districts. Um, how we fundamentally fund mm-hmm. schools is, is problematic. And even in, in funding schools um, with taxpayer dollars, for some reason, they don't get equal, equally shared throughout the whole community. There are some communities that still get a, a, a vast amount more of per student than others. And then you have students who can opt out and go to, like you're teaching at private schools, um, and they leave um, the, the disparity, uh, inequity between um, 
your black and brown public schools um, environment and so resources and supplies compared to private schools, even if it's in a black and brown community, is different. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's it's always an ethical issue. And that's what people don't understand. If we can't think about if I need to and this is why I push back on the, the this current theme in tech about, oh, we need empathy and compassionate coding. And I'm like, no, I don't. I, do oh, you yes. know those those are yep. skills it takes time for people to develop? I need to sit back and be harmed until this asshole decides he wants to develop empathy mm-hmm. and compassion. No, mm-hmm. I don't need to understand your situation. Why, why do I have to traumatize myself by explaining my trauma to you, revisiting that for you to mm-hmm. understand? Mm-hmm. And that's in quotes. All I should need mm-hmm. is to understand that there's a potential for harm for me to change or rethink my behavior. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. Somebody says, Kim, you know what? This is mm-hmm. a, there's a potential for harm here. I don't need to know your, I don't need you to dredge up your, your trauma for me to, oh, you told me there's a potential for harm. Can you tell me in which ways there might be a potential for harm? Because I don't know them. That's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I, I, this, this, this frustrates me a lot. I think there's a lot of people in tech who caused the problem, who are now reselling themselves as the people who are going to fix the problems in tech. And they're going for these very uh, shallow solutions like empathy is the new code word uh, uh, for like, <laughs> and, but they, you know, the, the, the refusal to do the hard work of, um, and I, you know, I, I get this, I hear this a lot, you know. Well, yeah. let, let's, let me, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you there because they don't even know what the hard work yeah. is. Yeah. So for them, it's, for us, it's dude, this is some shallow shit. For them, it's earth shattering. It's groundbreaking. It is innovative. It is, oh my God, we are so, and it's like your level. And this is why they get pissed at me when I call them mediocre. Cause I'm like, dude, y'all, what? <laughs> This is some mediocre shit right here because yeah. this is the, what who 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 is this impacting you know yeah. um and this is why I force I try to force kicking and screaming folks in my community at least to start thinking below the surface because yeah. as you as you're absolutely right you don't have the perspective so the things you come up with are, are the most well, they make you comfortable that's all that is it's it's surface yeah. it's solutions quote unquote that are in service to making you, getting you back to a state, a stasis of comfort. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I recognize I cause harm. I don't want to be complicit. What are the things I can do so that I don't feel bad anymore? Instead of what are the things that I can do to fundamentally change this this shit? Because if I'm feeling complicit, there are millions of other people who are complicit. How can we stop that part of it? Yeah, I I mean, absolutely. You know, and and I think, the, the, the lack of willing to do hard work also makes you susceptible to bad actors. I think, you know, I'm thinking of Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, who's become convinced that letting Trump tell lies on Facebook is, you know, fair and balanced because he has no concept of bad actors, mm-hmm. people who, or he does, or whatever it is, the unwillingness to do the hard work in tech, you know, pick up a book. Well, the bad actors don't impact his life as they would impact yours and not mine. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So they don't have the same 
Um, the bad actors to him are just people who are irritants, you know, like, psh, you know, why do I? But you know what? All speech is equal and we're going to talk about it equally. And no, 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 because their speech is not attacking you. It's not aimed at you. So you can sit by and evaluate. That's a lot that happens in my community is people want to sit back and discuss um, yep. the value of someone's humanity. It's like we're yeah. not having that. We're not having, mm -hmm. that's a conversation we're not fucking having. We're not having a conversation about yeah. the value of someone else's yeah, humanity. They'll, they'll do something similar, you know, as a sort of Muslim immigrant, I think a lot about sort of, you know, sort of newer to this conversation than other marginalized groups. But, you know, I think about sort of the Islamophobia trend, that's something that, you know, the right and, and Trump has pioneered. And they'll tell you things like, well, you know, if people meet Muslims, they're actually turned out they're not so Islamophobic. But gosh, there's not enough Muslims for 300 million Americans to meet one by one so they can have the, the, the human decency in every single immigrant or every single Muslim. It shouldn't, that should not be on me or any Muslim to do that for you, to, to be that, you know, that Clint Eastwood movie where you go over and, you know, you have food and suddenly you're able to be friends. Uh, that is, a, I think, a liberal fantasy around personal narratives that is very dangerous and uh a lot of say, there's, yeah, there's a lot of harm around, in that. why yeah. do i have to display my pain for you to see my humanity uh, so where you know where where did it fail i think i think you're right one is this technocratic perspective that that is more obsessed with solutions than about being humble and taking time to learn about something and slowly uh carefully um, I think the best model, the one that I come to often for doing this work, not to get too highfalutin, you know, I think Brian Stevenson in uh, Just Mercy, how he talks about, I forget the parts, but, you know, he talks about there's like four or five things you have to do. And one of them is being proximal to a problem. Um, if you're an outsider, you need to just be there mm -hmm. and be there enough so that you can actually come to some sophisticated understanding of what's happening. And that is one really, really hard and takes real dedication and real work. And those people that want to work on, you know, every, even good tech, civic tech wants to solve problems. No, stop trying to solve problems. Are you even proximal to the problem? Are you there? Are you experiencing? Are you learning about it? Thanks. Are you with the people that are experiencing it? Are you taking the time? And, you know, to go back to education, so many good actors come through the public school system either teacher or their teaching fellows or whatever, and they spend, like me, one or two years, and then they move on to something else. Uh, and, you know, they use... Yep, exactly. I worry about this myself. Like, So I'm not trying to tell you what the solution to the school like this. But what I want to do is I want to keep being proximal to the problem so that when there is something that works, I can be helpful in that way. But, um, yeah, I really do think a lot of humility and patience would be good for so many people in tech who want to who want to solve things and they get the impulse you know they look at this field and it looks so broken you see you know mark zuckerberg acting like a fool you see twitter giving trump a platform to spread lies and you want to solve it and you want to build your own thing instead i would say just take some time to to understand an issue read the books get to know people be there long enough so that you actually can understand something. And you'll also, I think, learn a lot of nuance that I think is missing when you paint people from either side, either you know, from the right or from the left, with either as sort of these victims or these sort of 
uh, people that deserve their marginalization. I think the one thing that I have learned, um, you know, sort of focusing on my little corner of the world is um, the, the communities are, you know, always very easy to say this, and, but, and it's very true, are much more diverse than they look from the outside. Um, uh, you know, having worked in public schools and charter schools in New York, uh, you know, there are a lot of people, like you were saying, who kind of like the system being broken are totally happy with it even amongst the communities that are suffering from it, you know, you, um, those are things that, you know, oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. realizations like that only come from time and patience and being there. And that is, that's really hard work. And I really want, uh, people in tech, people on the outside, people who working in, you know, colleges and teaching this to take time with these issues so that, we can, yeah, we can, we can really have a perspective. And uh, aside from sort of, uh, you know, uh, Brian Stevenson, I think people in tech that are doing that, I think Kathy O'Neill, I think, you know, sort of her book, um, Weapons of Math Destruction, really takes the time to understand an issue uh, before, pres- in fact, I don't think she presents any solutions at all, which I appreciate. I, you know, I think now is, there is a time for solutions, but I really can't, I don't want to judge. It's it's too soon in a lot of places to to know what the right solution is if we don't understand what we're talking about. And ideally, the solutions come from the community themselves and not from the techie. And um, you know, it, it's the tech is 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 service. So you are really serving something else. The solution shouldn't be coming from you as in here's this thing that I made. It should be more like the community wanted this thing and here's maybe how we sort of built it. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm a little bit off my, my, no, you're not because what you, the reason I didn't stop you is because what everything you've just said in that whole segment is totally, the reason it's not happening is because it's totally against the ethos of this community. The ethos of this community is first um, move fast, break things. And it's VC, everybody is, is VC focused. None of that is about taking your time. None of that is about getting closer to a, a, a problem and sitting with the people with the lived experience and learning from them and being guided from them and letting them dictate the solutions to the problems that they see, that they experience every day. Nothing about this space is about that. Everything about this space is white dudes with a lot of privilege, with a, um, with a lot of uh, access to networks who can access, I mean, they can go from idea to IPO and never be profitable and can cause a whole lot of harm um, yeah. because it's, it's that growth. Everybody wants to be a growth mindset. Everybody wants to be ha- you know, a hacker or whatever. And we can say people are like, well, Facebook changed that, you know, their fast move fast, break things. That was that's baked into the culture. That is the culture that we have. And and fundamentally, as a business strategist, I don't have a problem with move fast, break things. What I have a problem with is move fast, break things, move fast, break things, move fast, break things. Can we put a something in there that says move fast, break things? Stop and figure out what the hell you broke and why it broke and how it's impacting. Now let's move fast. Let's break some more. Now let's stop yeah. and see what we broke. <laughs> How does it impact? Yeah. How is it? Yeah. That, 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 that's the piece that means we're never, we seldom, don't want to use absolute, seldom in mass 
do we have organizational leaders in this space that sit back and evaluate how their products and services are impacting the lives of other people until it becomes a risk management issue? Yeah, you know, but, but to go along with that thinking, um, they've also been very good at not, not only are they not doing it, but they're not letting anyone else do it either. So there's no government mm-hmm. oversight. There's no policy oversight. So to switch back to the what the student perspective is, a lot of these students are being sold as sort of hogwash around Silicon Valley and that they can have it too. And they, in most cases, mm-hmm. they can't. It's I really don't know <laughs> how many of these kids are going to get jobs at these companies. Um, it's really hard to know that. Or we'll have the opportunities mm-hmm. that any of these, you know, uh, coder bros do. But they will, as citizens and as members of the community, have an opportunity to define what kind of tech we want to see. And one thing we try to teach our students, you know, wherever is the internet or tech doesn't have to be this way. This, these, are, these are policy decisions. These are governmental decisions. These are community decisions. We don't have to have an internet that, you know, uh, steals the identity of young people and shames them if they make a mistake online. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to have tech companies who get to, you know, um, do this sort of like fool's bargain with bad actors where they give them a platform to say whatever lies they want. These can be regulated. All these tech companies can be regulated. And more so than anything else, that's the lesson I want uh, the students and teachers to have, which is, what does your ideal community look like? What does a healthy tech community look like? How do you mm-hmm, get there? Mm-hmm. And if they can't do it, we can. These are, you know, mm-hmm. the government can step in in any situations and they do this thing where they say, well, we don't know, but also, hey, don't regulate us. Okay. Or let, or we need, or the new one with Zuckerberg, we need regulation, but I'm going to be a part of what, how we define that yeah. regulation. Yeah. Well, regu- you know, no, it's, regulate it's, us it's, to protect us from um, lawsuits. Put in regulation yes, exactly. that will exactly. basically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like kind of what they do with airlines and other industries, uh, use regulations to protect it from consumer complaints. And that's what I've been talking about recently a lot is because the lack of inclusion is a risk management issue. So anything that Mark Zuckerberg or um, Jack Dorsey or whomever is talking about um, help, it is all coming from a place of, oh, shit, we fucked up. And now we need to figure out how to m- mitigate our harm, our risk in all of this. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if they thought about us in these equations, they wouldn't be reaching out to other privileged, clueless individuals. They will be fundamentally reaching out to the people who they've harmed and asking, how do we um, um, mitigate your harm? How do we compensate you for your harm? I mean, yes, they, they need to be talking about compensating people for their harm. Um, Absolutely. But no one wants to talk about no that. No one wants to talk about that. And I mean, I think we have seen, you know, I think with the election of Donald Trump in 2016, I think there is a movement now to sort of get there and figure out how to get there. Um, and we have seen, you know, the Congressional Black Caucus and groups go to Silicon Valley and, and start asking better questions than they were. Uh, I think there was this um, sort of blind spot before uh, the election of Trump. Oh, it's a huge blind spot. We Tech has... Yeah, tech was fundamentally has been built on the 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 narrative that we we have your best interest at heart and just let us do it and we will take care of everybody. And so questions hadn't been asked from the dawn till now. And now it's like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We just let these 
who are these people? What get, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, he was a coder. Who gives, gives him, what gives him the authority and the expertise to know how to manage what he's created? You know, that's the, the narrative I remember was like, we, we, help, we helped get President Obama elected. Look how great we are. And we'll offer this expertise uh, to, you know, uh, to the liberals. But uh, hold on, we built all these tools. Anyone can use them. And guess what? Uh, they're mm-hmm. primed for, you know, basically bad actors. But, you know, in their, and it's not that, that like liberal arts will get you there. I mean, you know, I went to liberal arts college with a bunch of clueless, you know, old white guys who are <laughs> teaching the same book yeah, they taught yeah. 50 years ago. I really, and that's the problem right there. There's no diversity in that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think any, any one thing just solves it immediately, but, um, but I think, yeah, the, the one, the one that I keep coming back to is well, so many people recognize that tech is a problem. Well, how, how would you want to regulate it? Like starting there would be a good way to really help a lot of people uh, switch from this like helpless consumer perspective to a knowledgeable consumer activist citizens perspective that I think is so important. And one positive I do want to mention is in New York City, uh, CS education has this other problem, which is that it's very tech dominated. It's tech funded. Most of the the nonprofits working in tech, uh, sorry, in computer science education, get their money directly from Silicon Valley. So because of that, they're very wary of saying and doing things that really put a critical lens on it. And that's sadly, that's true, I think, most of the country. In New York, which is very large resource district, we, you know, we have multiple organizations participating and the money is from the district. I mean, there's private money, but the district can pay for things too. Um, Because of that, they have built a really nice blueprint and what they offer is they, you know, they, they're not trying to make everyone a coder. I think that's sort of one of those policies about computer science education that will get you in trouble they have a citizen's perspective so like what do you think of tech as a citizen how do you use tech as a citizen and i think Mm -hmm. that's the type of civic lesson that is really the 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 real great way to do this and um i would encourage your listeners to to call it the cs blueprint uh, the new york city department of education cs blueprint and i think they have a really great uh smart sophisticated way of taking a majority black and brown district of a million kids and 90,000 teachers and giving them something that is, I think, one, sophisticated, works for multiple groups of people and helps anyone sort of engage with tech at whatever level they want. Everything from I want to build apps because I think I'm going to be, you know, a billionaire to, hey, I use Instagram a lot and I just want to understand how it's using my data and and what are the sort of uh, pitfalls of that and i think a lot of those questions are going to start coming up with coronavirus and pushing all these kids online so quickly and 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 i mean you and i are using zoom right now zoom was not designed for us minors privacy or safety and I can't believe how many people move to platforms like Zoom and Zencaster and whatever without and, and leaped. I don't know. I wonder how many move to Moodle and Blackboard. Those places are actually designed yeah. <laughs> fundamentally with student safety and, and, and privacy in mind. And it's going to be interesting, just like you just talked about. There is a problem 
but have you thought close enough to the, the student or, you know, to say, yes, there was a, you had to make a quick decision. I get it. My hope is that they will be transitioning because this is going to be longer than most people thought. Mm-hmm. We'll be figuring out strategies to transition these students off these, these platforms that are designed for business mm-hmm. um, as quickly as possible. Because if not, this is going to be a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be some blowback on this for some years to come um, with, um, uh, yeah, these companies, Zoom is not designed for, it already has its own security issues. It's not designed for protecting minors. It's yeah. not. Yeah, you know, th- th- this this gets to a really great point, which is um, the the sort of downgrading of teaching as a profession, the rise oh. of ed tech as a sort of side category, and the way tech dominates ed tech. And, you know, I, I was one of those people, like, I, I find this email from... 20, 2008, I don't know, 2009 that I sent my students being like, hey, everyone, we're all going to start using Google Docs now because it's the best. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, oh, man, such a naive young person back then. Yeah, somebody somebody actually, I was talking about this yesterday. Now, uh, obviously, this is going to air in April, but I was talking about this yesterday on Twitter and because um, I was talking about this very thing. And someone says, well, my, you know, their school, they're using Google, Google Classrooms and Google's. I was like, I, I, and I was like, yeah, it's Google. I'm really not believing that <laughs> um, there's a, some, yeah, I just, no. <laughs> there's, there's too much of a precedent of Google just taking whatever they want that I just don't believe that there is nothing in that software that is vulnerable and also then the next when i said that her next tweet to me was yeah they're sending us um links and stuff for how to as parents to um change the settings no that should be by default what is like this is the stuff i'm talking about so you just made the point that i was just trying to make if you're talking about minors Everything should be shut off by default. It yeah. should, I should not, have a, as a parent, have to l- use a link to go in and set up my system mm-hmm. so that it's safer for my student. No. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so these are the things, and th- that goes what you said. You know, we're looking for solutions. We're looking for solutions. Yeah. And I get it. They had to, we had to move millions of students quickly. I'm just hoping that when we have time to step back and breathe, if this is going to be longer than folks talking about, particularly if we're talking about we have to go into next school year like this, we have better solutions for this. Absolutely. You know, the, you, you have a special degree. I also did my degree in special ed, and we know uh, this will get back to the COVID question, but generations of kids with special needs were basically segregated and put into these classrooms yep. in the basement. And it took, you know, this is why knowing history is so important. It took a massive movement to make special ed a civil rights uh, category that took these kids and gave them uh, the least restrictive environment. It, it, you know, it took exactly. generations of politicians, educators, people to do that. What we risk with COVID for that sort of quick solution is uh, resegregating these populations. Mm-hmm. Are these platforms accessible if you have a, a disability? Um, and if mm-hmm. they're not, what does a district do? I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently, this work, 
this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. Um, and if they're not, what does a district do? Um, these Especially because you have an IEP by law. Yeah. You, have to, you, <laughs> yeah. you have to. You can have your lesson plan for these gen ed kids, gen pop. But when it comes to them special ed babies, you better make sure that IEP is being, um, being um, implemented. Yeah. And how do you do that? And, and and I know that no one, I don't know that, but I would really doubt that anyone working on Google Classroom thinks about those issues, works on them. Is, all mm-hmm. all the all their you know features get rolled out in such a haphazard way. It doesn't seem like they even know what the school calendar is. Like sometimes they'll roll something <laughs> out in October. You're like, you know, that's not when the school year starts. So like, why are you doing yeah. it then? But we, I think, you know, this is a larger point about the profession is the way I've seen it has been so sort of downgraded from like a career and a middle-class profession mm-hmm. to like a job that we are so happy for any attention, any money, any free yes. products that we mm-hmm. have really lost our own inner perspective and inner ethic around, Hey, we are the, you know, sort of the the guardians of young people, their data, their privacy, their, mm-hmm. their wishes, their perspective, their voice. And become very happy to let, you know, bad actors, unknowledgeable actors, people who don't really know what they're doing, come into our classrooms and wreak havoc. And, you know, these include politicians and these include, you know, other people too, where um, I really, you know, worry about teaching as a profession in this country. And, um, and I know, you know, all these tweets about, oh, I love my teacher. How do they do their job? Uh, during COVID time, I really hope that those parents, especially those privileged working from home parents, keep that perspective going after COVID is over and think about the teachers, but also think about vulnerable populations uh, like special ed students, like uh, students who, you know, we still do a little bit of uh, active school desegregation in this country where we take kids from one neighborhood and put them in another neighborhood. Things like those issues, I think, I hope people still think about them once COVID is over and how we're going to continue to create a more equitable environment for teachers and students 
um, because, oh my gosh, uh, what's coming for the rest of the school year, and I know that the challenge is so great. We can't physically meet right now, and that presents such a challenge. But if we're going to be doing online learning for the long term, I think there needs to be real hard work uh, and conversation around what equity looks like there and how we're going to enforce that mm-hmm. and and not create exemptions. I mean, it's so worrying to see that they're trying to put in exemptions to the main legislature. Like, claw outs during this emergency time for special ed regulations so that districts can say, well, we're, we don't have to meet these guidelines. That kind mm-hmm. of stuff is so dangerous just because you slide back to an era potentially uh, of where, uh, you know, kids, uh, special ed kids, other kids are not in their least restrictive environment. That, that term means that uh, just for your listeners, uh, this country guarantees an education for everyone, including special ed students, that is the least restrictive. So that means that mm-hmm. if you're a special ed kid and you could be in general ed for five classes mm-hmm. versus all classes, you should get that. And the district should mm-hmm. live up to that. We as a country mm-hmm. work very hard to get to that point. If we go back and give them restrictive environments, we start doing this resegregation thing where special ed kids get something else. That's not what gen ed kids yeah. get. And that's really dangerous. And we're about to, and I'm sure we're, you're probably, um, we're already experiencing it just at the beginning of this because there was no plan, no time for planning. Um, it's already happened when you take out special ed and you look at the poor um, bandwidth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when yeah. you look at, um, you know, you have these, these companies saying that they're going to do, you know, remove data caps. There are people who only internet is their phone. How do you do yeah. Um, fundamental math problems and 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 how do you do how do you do science Kim, experiments? I, I got a, <laughs> Kim, I got a, I got I got a stat that will blow you away at at CUNY, which is the city college, city University of New York, and their CS program. The majority of CS undergrads at CUNY don't have an own, their own computer. Yeah, it doesn't blow me away. It does they, not. No, but like the, that's the reality of most people in this country. Exactly. And so when people say, oh, everybody gets, um, will get, you know, when people are talking about free college for all, everybody needs to get, uh, you know, community college should be free. That would be great if community college was valued the same way as Harvard and they got the same resources. Um, then I would say, yeah, community college would be great. Um, but community colleges aren't treated equally or e- even equitably. Um, and the fact that, um, as you said, and these are college students who are paying for education in, in CS, in yes. CS. So yes. I, I was talking with you, like he's the, this teacher who was telling me about it. He's been grappling with this for years of how do I teach CS when they can't basically do coding outside of the classroom, which CS platform is thinking about that? I don't mm-hmm. know a single one that is thinking, I mean, maybe a few of them are thinking about un- unplugged activities, but deeply thinking about the majority of the world where they're not going to have a nice MacBook mm-hmm. Pro at home yep. to yep. do their coding online. That's just not a possibility. Are you thinking about that? And if you're not, are you really doing any, you know, are, where's and, the innovation? And let's, oh, you know, we are so innovative and disruptive, but let's <laughs> bring out the bring out the lens a little more and let's not talk about just programming. Talk about when you're talking about thinking about ethics and technology, and I am a student who cannot access the same technology that the person sitting next to me can. That's fundamentally, I'm looking at that like we got a problem right here, ethics wise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can we talk about that? 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't want to talk about that because that's too personal, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I worked hard for, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. There's a whole yeah. bunch of things in play in this system that gave you the illusion that you worked hard for this, but you really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's well, true in my life. That's true in everyone's life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, this this yeah, the, this idea that uh, which is very dangerous and educate it, it comes up often in education, um, and you see it amongst different communities and especially amongst uh, black and brown communities that get to come to private school or get sort of recruited in, or me when you know when I got a scholarship to college is it can be very easy to believe that you have earned and deserve something, and that's good. Maybe it helps your ego, but the corollary to that is that you maybe somehow believe that someone doesn't deserve Mm -hmm. it or didn't earn it and that they deserve what they get. And that's rooted in white supremacy right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you're falling into this logic that, Oh, there's good black and brown people. that are And then there's the lazy ones. And then there's the lazy ones. Yes. This is why I I talk often about internalized white supremacy and anti-racist, how, uh, and anti-blackness and how we have to deal with our own internalized white, um, white supremacy, Mm -hmm. anti-blackness and you being uh, 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 a person of what, what, what nationality are you? I'm from Bangladesh, but Bengali. Yeah. And then, and then then the model minority. And so where you come to the United States with the belief that you're better than people, black Mm -hmm. citizens Mm -hmm. who are descendants Mm -hmm. of slaves. And then, Mm -hmm. um, and you work in service of white supremacy to assimilate and, but also distance yourself and put down people like myself. And it is a, it is a vicious, I tell no one escapes white supremacy unharmed. And if, Model minorities, black and brown people actually got together and saw that our, our plight aligned and poor white folks, we would be the majority. Yeah. And, and it goes back to what you just said about that community. We would be the ones informing the legislation and, and, and everything. Yeah. And, you know, this, but here's the thing, though. I think, you know, I, I work a lot in sort of Asian affinity groups and, and uh, that's one couple of things that I think uh, that Asians, I think, do know. One is that many, for centuries, Asians were not allowed to come to this country. And where they were, they were discriminated against. And I think this is, you know, like, there's so many Asians in tech, this is my, it might be good to say this. And that the civil rights movement uh, ended that racist uh, model. But it was, you know, done in negotiation with Congress. And the new idea was, we're going to get people that it's going to help us. So we're going to get the best and brightest mm-hmm. oh, yeah. in the world. So what you have is you have this filtering of who gets to come to this country. Uh, there's a lot of people back home in Bangladesh who will never get to come to this country. One, because they're yeah. too poor. It's too expensive to come here. Or you're too rich. Why leave? Or let's say you're an artist. This country sees no value in it. You're an activist. This country mm-hmm. doesn't see any value in mm-hmm. it. So what you get is this thing where you take a very large, diverse country and you filter it down to engineers, yes. doctors, technocrats, and then we come to this country and we act like that's what our home life is like. We, I know Bangladesh is not like that. All these like model minority nonsense stuff, Bangladesh <laughs> is much bigger and much more diverse than any model minority nonsense. I'm not so happy saying, you're saying this. Th- th- but we know this. I- Asians know this because they But I'm happy you're up. saying that yeah. because you don't talk to me yeah. about it. Yeah, no. I don't, I, you're the first person to say <laughs> that to me. Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense to me. It absolutely makes sense to me. Um, and Does yet, every Asian value education? United... No, of course they don't. No. How could they? Exactly. That's an absurd <laughs> idea. That's an absurd <laughs> idea. We know that. And if we don't say that to the Americans, to, to the wider community, we are doing this very dangerous, dangerous thing of one, erasing people back home. 
mm-hmm. that, that's really dangerous because we have a responsibility of people back home that I think is very important, mm-hmm. very deep. And we also are helping propagate this, as you were saying, this white supremacist lie. Mm-hmm. And it's putting pressure on you because you, everybody is not this, this, you know, straight math student. And when you can't achieve it, you, um, your rates of depression and everything go down because you don't meet this standard that doesn't even exist. Yeah. It's the same thing with black folks. Mm-hmm. We're trying to meet a standard of whiteness that we will ne- there's no way in hell I could be white. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Just and so the fact that there that's the standard, and I'm uh, supposed to um, as a good. I don't even say, I say this often. I don't even say that I'm an American. I'm not mm-hmm. because that the U.S. being the default is a problem. That that's mm-hmm. that that's like to me is the the first little hint of where we have a problem. There's a North America, South America, and Central America. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I say I'm American. That is a default that ignores, like you just said, Bangladesh, that ignores that there are other Americans. And that's how we can get, they can get called shithole countries. Mm-hmm. And then there can be a border on the line that says that these people are thieves and rapists and the, mm-hmm. because they are the other. Mm-hmm. And so when we don't see the comparison of that and how we do that, play that out in our lives and how we promote that in these small little ways that allow us to, to be elevated on the ladder of white supremacy while putting, holding, forcefully holding other people down. Mm-hmm. We are fundamentally causing harms to ourselves and our communities. Um, and it's, so, it's, it's funny that you say that because I had to go to another Indian, South Indian um, guy because one of the biggest groups of people I get attacked from, because white dudes are too afraid to actively usually just come at me, it's South Asian men. Yes. South Asian yep. men I'm are sorry. the biggest. Yes. <laughs> they are the. And so I had to go to someone and he was like, Kim, I need you to think of them as mediocre white dudes. <laughs> they have, they're in this space. Um, they know they, many of them don't understand they can be taken away from them at any moment. Yeah. Um, and they are here to fight on behalf of white supremacy. They don't see. And then he was, then he was telling me about some stuff that about, um, you know, the government in India. And, yeah. and that was a whole, I was like, oh my God, that's just so, but it, it, it makes sense. And again, it goes to that history. If I didn't know about what's going on and how these men are being treated in their mm-hmm. home country by this government that's oppressive, that's going mm-hmm. after Muslims, and then I wouldn't understand the, um, the pathology behind why these seemingly black ass men yeah. keep attacking me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's the other truth, the truth as well is while while we're people of color here and maybe we choose to identify that way and work with the struggle, uh, there's stuff that happens back home where we might be the oppressor. A lot of people that come mm-hmm. to this country, especially from Asia, you have to be of a particular class and have a certain level of access. And, um, and you may be doing the oppressive stuff back home and, you can, you know, and I think that's something that I think this, this, there's been many moments to think about it, but this COVID moment, this Trump moment is a real opportunity to think deeply about um, how we think about immigration, um, how we think about immigration as it works with tech, how we think about sort of white supremacy and the works in education. Um, And I really hope, and then then the other thing we talked about is how do we deliver equitable uh, learning when it needs to happen online? Uh, these to me are very connected issues, but it really requires quite a bit of truth telling, um, mm. and, 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 mm. and, you know, willing to, as you're saying, sort of cause a scene or, or, or provoke, but I don't know how you can look at 
any of these things without seeing the sort of connections that bind them together. Um, you know, Zuckerberg's experiments in education uh, was like the first philanthropy he did uh, was his mm-hmm. sort of funding of, of New York, uh, Newark uh, School District uh, with Cory Booker and what a disaster that was. Um, uh, I came into a, the school I came into in 2003. Yeah, to tie it all back together. The school I came to in 2003, MS57 in Bedford Status in Brooklyn, was a small school. The small schools movement was a Bill and Melinda Gates project. Where, mm, you know, I, was about to say, I was about to say about <laughs> Bill and Melinda Gates. When you said Zuckerberg, I thought about the Gates. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who have had a massive impact on education because they had all this money and all these ideas that led, led to so little. There's so little yep. positive outcome of any of these. So they based one of their ideas was let's take big schools and sp- split them up into small schools. Yep, split them up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so we had each. Uh, there was a uh, one school, and it got. Well, by the time I came in, it was like three schools. And I think when I in left, the it was same like, damn building. Same damn building. <laughs> None of it made any sense. And but what you saw was you saw kids who got very used to being treated very differently. So you had you know like a mm-hmm. charter school in the corner where everything was clean, yep. but it was like military style. You had the public school, and then you had sort of an in-between, like a public school with a mission. And it, it, it really takes what is a public, all, you know, we do this together, and just gets you okay with splitting it up and separating it out. And before you know it, it's just like the rest of American life. There's a fast track, and then there's the regular people's route. And then there's the middle route, mm-hmm. if you can. And, oh, well, you definitely saw that in um, special ed because people don't understand yes. that gifted is a part of special ed. And so you definitely see the spectrum of that in special ed, um, how yeah. gifted. See, the conversation is that special ed is one of the biggest roadblocks to uh, school desegregation because certain parents work their way in there and then they keep their hold on special ed and they funnel into the best high schools. And if you want to end school segregation, you basically, mm-hmm. it's also everyone's, I mean, uh, everyone's gifted. It, it, it's, it's, th- these are these very dangerous ideas <laughs> that are so baked into education and how we value yes. people that is so, so dangerous and it's caused so much harm. Um, and how do we get parents to think about not just their kid, but all kids? They're, they're all our kids. Exactly. Exactly. And it reminds me of a conversation I had on the show recently. Um, again, special ed, um, the difference between white little boys being ADHD and black little boys getting EBD. Um, um, and it's the same behavior, but those are totally two different tracks and two different approaches to their education, where one is about, let's come up with differentiated instruction. The other one is about punitive. Yeah. Oh man, we have talked a lot. So what, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. What would you like to say in your last, in your last moments on the uh, show? Yeah, I've probably said too much, but already- No, but, um, never, never. Uh, this has been great. <laughs> I should plug the ethical CS check. Yes. That probably be most pertinent. Uh, we come on the last, uh, Wednesday of every month. So um, if this episode's going out in April, we'll be back on April 29th, uh, Wednesday night at around 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And there'll be a conversation on Twitter using the ethical CS hashtag. Uh, please join in. It's a really nice, welcoming community of people who want to think out loud about ethics and engage in ethical thinking and uh, you know, we take all comers, even though it's sort of mostly educator focused. We've had a lot of interesting people uh, join and, and come through. So 
I would encourage your community to get on there. And if, you know, that's probably not the best platform for everyone, but uh, we're also, we have a website, ethicalcs.org. If anyone wants to get in touch, uh, you know, via email or look at other materials. And we really want to be a resource to anyone that wants to do this work in a, in a meaningful, slow, uh, thoughtful way. I think that's, I think, the value we want to provide. Whew. I love it when I talk to fellow educators because we have some war stories to tell. <laughs> We've seen something deep in two of us. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Kim. Uh, really great to have this opportunity and, and uh, look forward to seeing more from uh, your podcast. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Causing Podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Causing movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Causing community. Just visit the website at HashtagCausing.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Causing, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.